Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solid Dude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. Welcome to the Two Sawtooth Podcast. I'm Dwayne Rollins here on Thanksgiving Monday in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Kevin is on vacation, so this week's podcasts are going to be a little bit hodgepodge, but we needed to sort of scramble today to get one out because TFC decided that I didn't need a Thanksgiving. Thank you, TFC, as always. Bill Manning, hired as president of Toronto FC. He replaces basically Kevin Payne, although it's been a while. There hasn't been a president of TFC since Kevin Payne left oh so many years ago. So uh, we broke that down a little bit. I had Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com on to sort of tell us what Mr. Manning brings to the job from his MLS experience in Salt Lake. Talked a little bit about what it might mean to the market and things like that. But Jonathan generally was brought in as an expert of MLS. And then I had Anthony Tatera, uh, of course, of Red Card Radio on to talk about the local scene a little bit. Anthony knows the local scene very well. Uh, He's reported some of the candidates that had talked to TFC about this position that had a greater connection to Toronto uh, than Mr. Manning did. We discussed sort of maybe some of the concerns that might exist in the local market. I think that you'll find that most of the reaction to Mr. Manning's uh, promote or Mr. Manning's uh, being offered this job will be positive today. They'll look at his experience at Salt Lake and they'll say he did a wonderful job there, sort of expanding the ticket base, uh, working with the supporters, working within the league, doing well in you know hiring the right technical people, so on and so forth. I don't necessarily think that it's wrong for people to be positive about the, the hiring in that way, and I think certainly uh, Bill Manning has a wonderful resume from an MLS perspective, but I do, you know, surprisingly, or not surprisingly, as the case may be, have some concerns about what his lack of hoserdom might mean to this position. I do believe that there is a unique aspect to the Canadian markets, and I think that MLSE sometimes forgets that in its hires, and, and that goes across the board for all of its sports, but as it relates to TFC, I think that we saw it with Kevin Payne, and Kevin Payne never really learned this market, and, and you know some would argue that he never got a full chance either, but I don't think he deserved much more than he had, but that's a, a, a dead horse that's well, a long dead horse that I'm not going to beat anymore. I am going to go into Mr. Manning's position with an open mind. Um, he is, as I said, he does have a great resume, but he isn't Canadian, and he's not from Toronto, and he hasn't worked in a market as big as Toronto ever at this level anyway. He, he Well, I guess that's that's kind of a lie. Within soccer is what I should say. He did work for the Philadelphia Eagles, as Jonathan talks about. So uh, there has been some large markets that he's been in, but in terms of soccer, he hasn't been. In terms of the comp- competition between multiple sports in the same market, that's something that he certainly didn't experience at RSL. Does his experience within Major League Soccer, does that trump all that? Is that more important than all that? Certainly MLC seems to think so. So we'll see. All right, on that note, we're going to bring Jonathan on first, um, then Anthony on after that, two interviews that I did this morning, and then uh, that'll be it. That'll be two solitudes for today. Kevin and I are going to work out how to get the rest of the week out 
in similar ways. You'll get interviews out at the very least. We're working on a USL uh, playoff uh, final uh, celebration. Rochester plays LA2, so you can look at that. Look for that on USL Radio 2. Probably going to take a five-rings break this week, and we'll have 2SE back when Kevin gets back from his vacation, in which he has well-earned. Hope you enjoy this. This will be it for me today, so happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the interviews, and we'll talk later after TFC officially makes this announcement later on this week and when Kevin gets back from vacation. Dear Mr. President, come take a walk with me. Let's pretend we're just two people and you're not better than me. I'd like to ask you some questions. If we and welcome back to a uh, Two Solitudes Thanksgiving Monday edition here in Canada. TFC decided that we didn't deserve a day off. Uh, they made an announcement today that Bill Manning, the former executive president of Real Salt Lake, is now the president of TFC. Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com joins me to sort of help us understand who this guy is and, and what he might bring to TFC. Jonathan, thanks for taking some time. It's a pleasure. I've gotten plenty of, of Canadian team press releases on the American Thanksgiving over the years. <laughs> yeah, but you're not in Canada, so, you know, that's yeah, – there you go. Uh, we just call that Thursday up here, so I just as you call today's Monday. <laughs> it's Columbia. Right. Well, it is, a, it is a holiday down here, but uh, not, in the, not a newsroom holiday, that's for sure. Yeah, not, not, this, not one of the big ones, but I'm one of the big three. But uh, anyway, um, Jonathan, tell us about this guy. Uh, he, he had a lot of success at uh, at RSL. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Uh, just tell us about him. What, what's his biggest strength? What, what does he bring to that role there? As one of the sharpest business executives Major League Soccer has seen in recent years. I don't think there's much question about that. Um, did spectacularly well at building the culture that we see at RSL, not so much on the field per se, although he's not stupid. He had a little bit of a hand in that. But you think about how tight a fan base that they have. Um, The fact that Rio Tinto Stadium is packed every weekend, it really, that's a club that really resonates in the Salt Lake City market. No, there's not a lot of pro teams there, but nobody ever really thought of of Salt Lake City as a soccer hotbed, uh, you know, for a long time, and it sure is now. And a lot of that is kind of because of what Bill Manning has been able to do. He tried, uh, he, he played a role in trying to get a, a venue built uh, for their USL team um, that potentially would have also hosted a women's soccer team. I don't remember everything about where that stands, uh, but he certainly has vision and he has um, the know-how to execute it. Certainly Toronto is going to be a different market in a lot of different ways, but this is going to be a test of one of the things that a lot of folks have wondered for a long time, just as when Jason Christ went to New York City FC, um, what happens when you take the success that Real Salt Lake has had and give those people the keys to teams in bigger markets with a lot more money? Yeah, that, that is the question. Let's explore that a little, a little bit more. Uh, crisis uh, first season at, uh, at New York has been a bit difficult to handicap because we're just not too sure what uh, what CFG is involved in, how much their involvement is, how much control he has there. Um, he won't be, uh, this gentleman won't be uh, necessarily uh, making the decisions on the field either, but uh, but how do you think that will translate? Do you speculate a little bit? Do you, do you think this is a person who, who can translate his role that he had at RSL up to TFC, or will there be an adjustment period? I, I, I do, and let me cite one other example in addition to Jason Price, Garth Lagaway. 
going mm-hmm. from um, Rail Salt Lake, where he was their technical director, to Seattle, where he's now pretty much the same thing. You know, he's in charge of soccer operations. I certainly think when you look at the moves that they've made, you'd have to call that a success. Sure, fair enough. Um, um, here, to your question, um, here's why I think he can be successful. He's not just a soccer guy. Um, he worked for the Philadelphia Eagles before going to Real Salt Lake, which is why I thought he'd be an ideal candidate to take over for Nick Sakevich down here. But I had heard even before um, even before Sakevich was fired, um, I had heard that he already had a gig lined up. I didn't know where it was, um, but I figured that it, was, it would be a long shot um, for him to end up with the union. Uh, he has worked with the Houston Rockets in the past, so you know, having worked in the NFL, the NBA, not just soccer, I have a hunch that he'll be able to get into the room with the executives at, at MLSE and do just fine um, in terms of representing the needs of the soccer club. My hunch, what I want to see from Manning, um, you know, whether or not you think it's Manning's job to be Canadian, uh, it is probably going to be his job to set ticket prices and do other things to cultivate the fan base and see to it that it's not just 15,000 people anymore at BMO Field, but 20 or 5, 30,000 because of the way they've expanded that stadium. That's what I want to see from him. Um, it's how, you know, he's going to be a business side guy but he's going to have to do some of the fan relations stuff too and, and cultivating the fan base. He was spectacularly good at that in Salt Lake City, and I think that's going to be his challenge in Toronto. Yeah, and that's where I my concern on, on the Canadian front is. He's not going to be making player decisions. It's not really going to affect any of the Canadian issues that we talk about a lot, but he does have to uh, engage with the fan base here, and I think there is a unique cultural difference between how to engage with Canadians and how to necessarily engage with Americans. Um I, the small market thing to the large market, I, I, I question that too. Is there a difference to building a market down there, or do you think the isolation and the difference that you saw in Salt Lake, kind of a unique market within MLS, and Toronto was a unique market in MLS too in a different way. Do you think that experience translates? Market size sometimes has to do with how many other professional teams there are in the market, not just population size. Um, sure. And that, you know, where TFC is competing for attention, you know, with the Raptors and the Leafs, even though they're owned by the same company, um, you know, that's going to be a fight. You know, how is he going to play with the Argos? That's going to be a big question, I think, is on his desk, isn't it? Oh, yeah. right away. First thing. And, I mean, I think that probably some TFC fans are going to react to the fact that he has NFL experience because they, they want a guy that wants to be, you know, hard-nosed against the CFL coming in, even though that boat probably has failed at this point. Well, great. it's great to be hard-nosed until it backfires. Would you rather have a hard-nosed guy or somebody who tries to actually make things work? Yeah, fair enough. Um, that, we have... One other thing I want to mention, in reading his sure. bio on Real Salt Lake's website, he established a fan relations department at the club, and their season ticket renewal rate was over 90%. Um, I just, you know, I, I know he's American, and I know he's going to get prejudged by a lot of people for being American, including the fact that um, most of the people doing the prejudging are Canadians who work in the television. Is that a fair statement? Sorry, I I missed that last thing you said there real quick. He's he's going to be be prejudged by a segment of the Toronto soccer community for being American. And am I right to think that a segment of the people doing the prejudging and a significant segment of the people who are doing the prejudging 
are the opinion makers who work in television and newspapers and so Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, when, with the Blue Jays appointment, uh, which is the one all, that, that happened recently, uh, to take a work from Paul Beeston, who, of course, is a legend in this market. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism of the fact that it's, it's an American. It's not so much an American. It would be also, I think, criticized if they hired someone from Vancouver. I think the feeling is that, uh, that not only do you need to have a Canadian person that understands the Canadian market, but, but Toronto fact, you want someone who understands the Toronto market, and that, that's the criticism. Well, I will say this. In the, the release today, it did indicate that he is he's moving his family to Toronto, which I think is an important consideration. Uh, even Brendan Shanahan, at least, doesn't live in – he lives in New York City right now, which he's been highly criticized for, and there's been other – uh, executives uh, in Toronto sports that have been highly criticized and, and taken over to task constantly for not living in the city. So that's a good good start right there. Well, you know, I understand why Alex Anthopoulos was criticized for a long time, but at the moment they're in the playoffs, and I'd say the Masai Ujiri is doing a pretty good job too. Yeah, well, yeah, the Raptors were a bit of a, a bit of a harder comeback. I, yeah, we're not in to talk about that today. Actually, Jonathan, can we turn it a little bit on just the Salt Lake side of things? We do have listeners down there. What does it say for them to lose the last of their big three right now? Should that market be worried? Uh, oh, he will. He's been gone for a couple months. Yeah, sure. But... He, left, he left a while ago, and I, and my I don't want to speculate too much. Um, he left in August officially, actually. I don't want to speculate too much, but the pressure right now is on Delaware Hampson, the owner of that team. We've got a lot of money, personally. He's personally very wealthy. You know, RSL doesn't spend a lot of money. It's not because Delroy Hanson doesn't have it. He, he has it. And, uh, you know, it's the job of um, – who's their technical uh, – Craig Weibel, I believe, is their technical yeah. right now. It's his job to get Hanson to spend it. I think he's starting to. We've seen him make a couple of big moves in the second half of this year. Um but the pressure's on Hanson, and I know they've made a couple of organizational moves in the last few months um, to, uh, you know, to show up the front office. But I think it's going to take a while before all of that really shakes out, and we know what we know the full effect. Yeah, I wondered too. I mean, I hate to get into the MLS 2.0, 3.0 stuff, but there is sort of a divide there, and RSL was often considered to be like the, the cornerstone of the of the MLS 2.0 teams, the best of that sort of ability to scrap together a, a team that's more than the, the you know, the, the collection of its parts. It's not about a single superstar, although Kyle Beckerman had his moments there to lead that team, I think. But uh, is this another indication that maybe that model is no longer going to work and that you need to be in a market where they're willing to open the purse strings? The fact that these three men over the last year or so have left uh, left an organization that was quite good to them? Ask me again in about two weeks from today. Once we know whether they're in the playoffs or not, ask me then. Okay. Um, you know, uh, I look at the East. I look at East United, and I look at Columbus, and I even look at New England, even though they're spending a lot of money on Jermaine Jones. I mean, I look at the Red Bulls are not spending a ton of money, but they're pretty smart. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether the old model is dead yet. And I'd also know, you know, Dallas being on top of the West is a pretty significant statement, too. I don't know whether the old model's dead yet. I certainly think it's dying, but I think it may still have one last hurrah left in it. How much do you think the, he'll have, a, how much of a role he'll have in uh, establishing the academy and working with that? Is, is that a big I was part wondering of if you were going to get to that for me because I'm well aware that for years now, the number one signing of the very hardest core of Toronto FC's fan base has wanted the club to make is the head of Sigma. Mm-hmm. And that that 
for some number of people is all that matters. Interesting. And it's it's look, I I I shouldn't name names, but I know that of what I've been, I've bounced around this a couple of times, we've danced around it on this show. Um, if there are guys out there like Jason DeVos who are going to prejudge, and I love Jason, he's a great friend of mine, I think he does great work, but if there's guys like him who are going to prejudge every hire that TFC makes because they are not from Toronto, never mind whether they're from Canada, and if they're not Sigma specifically because of what they did with Kyle Laren, um, I don't think it's fair. Yeah, there's, I just there's... don't think it's fair. There is no doubt that uh, Jason's Achilles heel, so to speak, is his um, past experience working opposite of TFC Academy, and there there might be a little bit uh, too quick to criticize there. It's, it's something not, that we, not, we I want to make it clear that it's not just him. He's just the highest voice, the voice that you most hear right. often on it, yeah. No, right. certainly, you're right. There are lots that, that automatically attack anything TFC Academy does, despite the fact there's some ample evidence that TFC Academy has done some some solid things as well. They've produced some good players, and, and that should be recognized. Uh, Bobby F. Sigma is, is someone that uh, that I've heard that uh, a lot of people are after uh, to, to run the technical side of a professional club, and perhaps in a, in a league that we've talked about as well, there, there might be a big movement to get him involved deeply in that too. Sigma's done a, a wonderful job, and I think the competition is, is good for both sides if they can find a way to not, you know, to make that work and not just try and, uh, I don't know, sabotage each other. I don't, I don't begrudge Sigma's success at all. I just don't like the fact that, you know, every single I, – I look at what TFC's academy is doing relative to and Montreal and Vancouver, too. The Canadian clubs are some of the best academies in Major League Soccer. And I know it's taking time, and I know the Canadian players aren't necessarily getting on the field as much as people would like. But they're still a, a far cry better than what a lot of the academies in the U.S. are doing in Major League Soccer. Well, yeah, I – one of the, the uh, uh, criticisms that the academy gets up here, which I don't necessarily agree with necessarily, is they, they feel that they should go with more of an affiliate model as opposed to a standalone model, which is more what they are. I don't know whether this is a bit of an off topic, but whether you think that the affiliate type of style is, is better than, than having one academy where you try and collect everyone and have them under one roof. I don't know. Well, what sounds, are you to me, sounds to me like some people who want a piece of the pie. Yeah. That's that's a lot of the criticism that I hear, and I don't don't quite get that. I think that's a cheaper way to do it in a lot of ways. I'm not to say you should. You want, right? If you if you want a piece of the pie, then say you want a piece of the pie. But you know, I think that the integrated model is the way to do it. And you look at Los Angeles, for example, where the Galaxy kids are, you know, literally having lunch with Giassi's artists and Stephen Trump. And are in the USL final too. Um, so there's a lot of success there, two years in a row for uh, a deep run within their and, USL team. So. And TFC, to its great credit, has the physical infrastructure already in place. I've been to Downsview. It's one of the best training facilities in Major League Soccer. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I guess at that note, Jonathan, I do thank you for your time on short notice. I'm going to wrap it up and uh, bring someone else on to talk about the Canadian side of things as we've gone on this. So uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll leave it at that, and uh, we'll talk soon, Jonathan. Absolutely. It's a great hire. My hope for him and what I would set as an expectation for him, never mind the academy, it's going to be how he cultivates the fan base and reaches out deep to it that those fans at BMO Field are full every weekend with people who really want to support that club and not just Sebastian Domingo. All right. Cheers. You have these kind of ethnic social clubs, right, and, and especially in inner cities. And in Brooklyn, um, we were called the Brooklyn Italians, so it was an Italian social club that sponsored our team. 
For a three-year run there, the Brooklyn Italians were arguably the best team in America at that point. Paul Gardner with Soccer America actually wrote a story about our team that year. He called it a Brooklyn Italian summer because we were just killing teams. I mean, we, we were winning games 4-0, 5-0 against top teams in New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Jersey. Back then, that was the highest level, was playing for kind of the ethnic teams and then you know, eventually played in the USL a little bit because uh, there was no MLS. We wound up going to the US Open Cup final in 1990 and lost to a team from Chicago. They scored in the 87th minute and we lost one nothing and that was just crushing. We were a very good team, but the next year we just, we had a vengeance. We were gonna win the US Open Cup. We wound up um, you know, winning the New York State and then we won Region 1. We went up to Massachusetts, we beat a team up there. I scored in the semifinal Region 1, we beat a team from Western PA. And then in the finals, we beat a team called the, the Washington Spartans, I think they were called. We beat them 3-0 in Brooklyn, and that put us into the semifinals where we played a team from Chicago. And we actually lost the game on the field but they actually used like five illegal players and lost the game. So we resurrected ourselves and then went into the final and we played a team called the Dallas Rockets. So we played at Brooklyn College Stadium. We actually won the rights to host that game and we scored six minutes in, we were all over them. I got a red card in the 23rd minute of that game for um, what I would still argue to this day was not a call. Me and Alan Pamperin, who wound up playing in MLS, going for a breakaway that they'd put over the top, and he was a pretty fast guy, and I was pretty fast, and we were jostling, and maybe a foul at best, but they called me preventing him from a breakaway, and uh, um, straight red, and so that was difficult, because now we had to go down to 10 men, um, but we were just a better team than they were, and um, so we held on and won one nothing. I wanted to win so bad, and then to get a red card 23 minutes in, uh, just, and I remember I had to leave the stadium and I took my car and I drove around to where there was a fence and I could still watch the game and I had to sit on the hood of my car. I was able to get in at the end of the game and there was no one stopping me at the end of the game. So I got in and I celebrated with the guys. And welcome back to the um, Thanksgiving edition here. Uh, Anthony, we have Anthony on the line here to talk a little bit about the local scene. Anthony uh, from Red Car Radio, we know him well. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm good, and happy Thanksgiving to you, Dwayne, and your family. Yeah, thank you very much. I wasn't expecting to have to record anything today, but, you know, here we are. Bill Manning, hired by TFC on Thanksgiving Monday. I'm not sure why they didn't wait a day, but um, maybe it was because they've hired an American and they weren't thinking about it. I, I don't know. Uh, what are your thoughts on the fact they didn't hire a local, local candidate for this, Anthony? <laughs> well, you're bang on. I think they let this out of the bag today, Thanksgiving Monday, when a lot of people are with their families, a lot of the media guys, a lot of the people aren't really focusing on this hiring. And I think it's it's going to be a very interesting hiring. I personally uh, don't agree with it. It's uh, it's not a guy that's local. I, a few months ago, predicted that it would be, uh, who my source told me, uh, an Italian, uh, a guy who did play in Toronto, who did live in Toronto and spends a lot of time still here. And that was Roberto Bettega. So he didn't get the job, obviously. And there was also some talk of an AC Milan executive that would have had an opportunity here. And he spends a lot of time in Toronto as well. So now uh, an American here who doesn't know the market, who doesn't understand the youth clubs, who doesn't understand the way things work here. And it could be a real, real delicate um, situation to start off with. Do you think this is just a case of uh, MLSE not understanding the league again and, and sort of going straight to the 
the head, like John Garber, the MLS itself, to ask them to sort of recommend someone and then sort of taking the word for it. Do you, do you think that's what's happened here? I think so. And, and I think they need to stop that. I think they need to go with who they believe is the right person, whether he's local, uh, whether he's international, but they need to stop picking up uh, the express uh, phone to MLS head offices and asking for who's the best candidate, who's available, who can we put in here in Toronto. That's got to stop. I mean, um, there's enough qualified, smart sports, business, Canadian people, local people that could have had uh, a shot at this position. And one guy that comes to mind right away for me anyway is a guy that has uh, a history in business here in Toronto. And some people might say, Anthony, that's too much of a long shot. But I'm going to give you a name. I think Bobby Arushi should have been given an opportunity. He's worked in the business community here uh, with a brewery for many, many years. He's played the game in the North American Soccer League. He knows MLS. He's followed it intensely. And here's a guy that I think should have been given a shot. It, certainly, uh, Bobby, if you know him, is a very intelligent guy in the game. But maybe does it fit the mold, I guess, is maybe what the, what people might say to that, that uh, he's not someone that looks like a, an MLSC executive. It, it, perhaps they're trying to have some idea in mind and rather looking for a candidate that uh, that might be unique and might bring, bring something different to the role. They're just looking for a suit, for lack of a better way to put it. Is, is, is that your thought? Well, I mean, let me ask you, is this the right guy for this market? Bill Manning, is he the guy that's going to, uh, you know, listen and understand the concerns of, of the local uh, businesses, the local youth clubs, the structure? You and I both know, Dwayne, it, it's it's a... Uh, it's a real nut to crack here in Ontario and in Toronto specifically with academies, clubs, the politics, what have you. And I think if this was a Canadian hire, someone in our area, in the local area that understands the ins and outs, I think it would have been much more well-received. Yeah. I, what I'll say, you know, and I'll have my own comments later on in this, but, uh, you know, he certainly has had success at MLS, and you can't deny that, but is, is Salt Lake the same as Toronto? Not to, you forget even the American Canadian aspect. That you're talking about the smallest market at MLS going into one of the largest markets in MLS. You're talking about a market that has really only one other professional um, competition in, in uh, the Utah Jazz of the National Basketball Association, as opposed to Toronto, which is a team that has multiple teams in multiple leagues. So it's a lot of different factors at play here, and I, I just it's, it's curious to see that that MLS has gone this route again. It's, but then again, it isn't because they they tend to hire. Um, Americans for these roles. And this isn't anti-American. It's just, is it, are they looking at the local market or not? No, and I agree with you. It's, I'm not anti-American. Good luck to Bill Manning. I hope he does a wonderful job for TFC, and I hope uh, he's very successful. No ill will towards him. But uh, when this announcement, I was here at Kia Training Grounds. I'm still here at the Generation Adidas Cup. Some wonderful uh, teams from all over MLS are here. And as soon as the press release came out, the first thing that hit my head, I'll be honest, Dwayne, was we really, really now need to focus in on building our own Canadian soccer league coast-to-coast so Canadians can have jobs in management, in the coaching department, uh, on the field, on and on. No disrespect to our American uh, brothers down south, but, but it's time we start taking care of our own. Yeah, which has always been the argument there. All right, let's let's turn it somewhat positive to end the conversation. If you're Bill Manning, what is and you want to be successful, and, and let's just say for the sake of argument, he is someone that is going to listen to these concerns. What is the first thing that he should do as president of MLSC or sorry, of TFC when he comes in on Friday? What should he do to make sure that these fears that are that are being expressed aren't um, aren't brought to fruition? 
It's simple. Uh, the first words out of his mouth, he should say, in my opinion, is I'm going to sit down, have a town hall meeting with all, with all youth clubs, presidents, technical directors, all people of importance in Ontario soccer. I'm going to sit down with them and I'm going to make them understand what I would like to do and hear what they would like to see me do as well. All right, fair enough. There is a good sign that he is moving to Toronto. He's not going to commute from the United States. He's a he's a fellow from New York State, so that would have been easy enough to do. So that is a good sign. Anthony, thanks for taking some time and uh, enjoy the rest of the Generation Adidas tournament. Pleasure's all mine. Keep up the great work, Dwayne. Cheers. The Canadian Review on the Two Solitude Soccer Podcast. And welcome to the Canadian Review. Kevin here live, on location, in vacation, live from South Carolina, United States, y'all, in the South. I'm here to talk about Canadian soccer, and a very not busy weekend, very not busy weekend in Major League Soccer, only one game this weekend, the Montreal Impact versus the Colorado Rapids, the Montreal Impact are having a three-game road trip that's going to end up in New England next Saturday. But it was last Saturday, Dick's Sporting Goods Park in Colorado, where DJ Drogba scored the greatest free kick of the history of the Montreal Impact. And probably the greatest free kick in the history of Montreal soccer. He did it a couple weeks ago, but the one he made on Saturday was a beauty, a cracker, a hell of a shot, dipped straight into the net. Nothing exactly math the goalkeeper of Colorado could do. And the stare-down celebration that DJ Drogba did to the camera after that goal will be remembered forever. It will go down in history as one of the most intimidating... I'm still scared. The most intimidating celebration in the history of MLS. Yeah, maybe I'm a little too high on my hyperboles, but uh, that's the feeling I had when I watched him. Damn, Drogba. Yeah, I was scared watching you to score that goal and the way you looked at the screen. Anyways, what a cracker of a goal for Drogba. Montreal Impact getting closer to clinching a playoff spot in Major League Soccer, especially in the Eastern Conference with that win on the road. Their third of the season. one nothing. It's finished. Clean sheet. My man of the match, though, is not Didi Drogba because Evan Bush did a an amazing save at the 92nd minute to keep the three points for Montreal, the crucial three points for Montreal in the race for the playoff. The Audi 2015 MLS Cup playoff, which there's a couple of scenarios left, but basically Orlando ties or loses against New York this Friday, and it's done in the East. It's just remember, it's just a, a question of who finishes where, but if Orlando loses Friday or a tie, or win by Montreal, this Saturday would clinch Montreal and back a spot in the playoff of 2015 in the Major League Soccer. But to do that, they need to either beat New England or hopefully Orlando loses. If Orlando loses, it clinches a spot for the Revs, the Columbus, TFC, and Montreal. So Orlando loses, they're done. So uh, Montreal can get a win in New England, we'll see. But uh, your best bet, a tie or a loss by Orlando, will guarantee the boys of Mauro Biello to be in the playoff in 2015. 
What an accomplishment. What a turnaround this team made since Amaro Biello has joined the club as head coach. And uh, as you noticed, I didn't say interim because uh, I haven't heard that word speak in a couple of weeks. And uh, to be quite honest, uh, I do feel Amaro Biello will have the job next year. I do feel it's his team, his club, and he knows how what to do with it. And he has shown it in the last couple of months. So Amaro uh, Biello... In my opinion, the man for the job for the Montreal back and ASL score in Canada this week for the Canadian Review. We had the Cosmos playing against FC Edmonton. And the Eddies, well, uh, they got uh, blown out 3 nothing Cosmos. And like uh, Colin Miller said after the game, if a player is going to play and defend that way, there's no way we're going to win. And there's no way we're going to be close in the game. And there's no way we're gonna, not going to concede three. So I have to agree with Colin. And uh, very bad timing for the Eddies. They need to rack the points to go to come back a little bit in the playoff chase. Big, big blowout loss. Hopefully that loss doesn't have any sequels and more consequences. So that's going to be very important for them to uh, keep the confidence high and try to get the most amount of points possible to get a spot in the postseason or the championship now going back to the second nsl game last week that included a canadian team the league uh fall leading fall league leading uh it's so complicated with their fall and spring season and they're overall leading to the league leading ottawa fury one one draw versus a team that's going to be probably a direct rival eventually, maybe the Rowdies, Tampa Bay Rowdies. Uh, uh, no uh, notes from that game. Uh, Freddie Adu, you might remember him from uh, such a roles as a very young player in MLS when he was what 16, 14, whatever. Well, he actually scored the equalizer for Tampa Bay Rowdies with a pretty, pretty, really classy shot. So, uh, why don't you go take a look at Freddie Adu's goal? Ottawa Fury continuing to uh, have a very, very successful fall season leading an ASL and actually probably will host a postseason game in Ottawa. Probably the first team in Canada to host a playoff. Not probably. If uh, the game happens before a another Canadian team can host that game, will be the first professional soccer playoff game played. When I say professional, I just mean it's just not Canadian league. The highest level, almost. Like, it's not Division One, but it's getting close to it. It would be just great to have that uh, game, a playoff game in Ottawa. Everybody in Ottawa. The Monday Ross, Tony Monday Riot. Guys from ours is the Fury. Good luck. Hopefully, you will have that. It's almost guaranteed, I know. But you will have that playoff game. And until next time, here on the Two Solid Dudes Soccer Podcast, thanks to Jonathan Tannenwald, Anthony Tachera, Dwayne, thanks for uh, taking over while I'm on vacation. He, myself, Kevin Larme, we're going to talk to each other very soon in the next couple of days, 2SS related this week, and off the woodworks coming in the next couple of days. And until next time, have a great soccer.